much time do you actually spend practicing imagination? Is it a daily thing or is it a weekly thing? Or is it even, when was the last time you even spent five minutes actually thinking about a future that you want um, versus just waking up, plugging into the phone and then going to work, right? One of the, I think the really important components is the idea of impossible. And, and I think that it's a really useful construct to play with the idea of impossible. Usually as people, we don't entertain things that we think are impossible simply because they're we think they're impossible. So we don't even spend much time imagining them, let alone like trying to like strategize them, think about it, actually like let alone get committed to it, right? Hey everybody, what's up? It's Chase Jarvis. Welcome to another episode of the show. That little blurb that you heard was from Dr. Benjamin Hardy. Now, Dr. Hardy is an organizational psychologist, a best-selling author, and a very talented keynote speaker. I've had him on the show before, but today's episode, I gotta say it's a little bit even more special than last time. In part, maybe it's because near and dear to my heart is the topic, and he has written a book that is called 10X is Easier Than 2X, How World-Class Entrepreneurs Achieve More by Doing Less. Seductive idea, right? In this episode, we talk about the psychology of exponential growth, of transformation, the science of future self, and entrepreneurship. It's going to be an excellent episode. Yours truly and Dr. Benjamin Hardy. Enjoy the show. Dr. Benjamin Hardy, welcome to the show. Thank you for coming back a second time here. It's been a couple of years, though. It's it has. Back with you. It has. Be back with you. In, and in um, in a couple of years, you've done some work, and the work is very interesting, very uh, personal and relevant to me, and especially our audience today, which is one of the things among many that I want to talk about. Uh, that is a new book, and the concept is that it's easier to 10x things, your goals, uh, the life that you dream of, rather than 2x, which... If that doesn't seduce the listener right off the bat, I don't know what will. Uh, but before we get into the specifics of your most recent work, maybe you could spend a second orienting us around who you are, what you focus on in work and career, and, and uh, that'll help us get into the material. Absolutely. Yeah, so um, live here in Orlando, Florida. My wife and I have six kids, which is you know a big thing. Uh, we actually have a seventh living with us right now. We don't know, we don't know if this is permanent, but we have a a 15 year old girl from Guatemala who is living with us. It may be permanent, it may not be. That was just kind of a ha happenstance. Um, wow. But um, I did a PhD in what's called organizational psychology. Uh, organizational psychology is, you know, like leadership, strategy, um, motivation, stuff like that. Very much business psychology and leadership psychology. Um, and we, you know, we had our three foster kids while I was doing my PhD at Clemson. That's when I was doing a lot of blogging on a website called medium.com. And that's really where I was able to kind of get my, uh, you know, go through some riffs, I guess you could say that was my, I guess you could say my first professional 10x was essentially going from blogger to author and just getting really good at that. Um, and so that was kind of my Clemson years from 2014 to 18. We adopted our three kids from the foster care system and then moved here to Orlando. And yeah, I think that just to give a little orientation, um, I, I'm deep into, um, yeah, I, originally when I was writing on Medium, it was more like pure self-development, like pure uh, with a lot of deep psychology behind it. I then got really interested in entrepreneurship. My master's thesis was actually on uh, the difference between entrepreneurs and wannabe entrepreneurs. And I did a lot of deep dive into that. I, I kind of went deep into a topic called the point of no return. Um, and just kind of what that looks like when you go through those identity shifts and make big commitments. And that, that, that stuff on entrepreneurship did lead me to developing the collaboration I had with Dan Sullivan. He's an 80 year old guy who's freaking amazing, been coaching world class, like top entrepreneurs for 50 years. So we wrote three books together. Uh, I've written a number of other books myself. And, um, you know, these days I'm just really interested in, uh, you know, fast growth, learning transformation. Um, just, so that's kind of, I guess where we're at. <laughs> yeah, no, that's great. Well, it's, it, to me, given that the audience of listeners and watchers here largely identify as creators or creative uh, as entrepreneurs, uh, I think it's fascinating. Maybe we can try out a little of that, uh, your origin story that you shared there around entrepreneurs versus wannabe entrepreneurs. What, what, what's the difference? What did you find in the research? And uh, maybe you can articulate the difference there for us. Yeah, I mean, I'm sure that there's so many, but like with my own study, which was my master's thesis, and honestly, anyone can look it up. It's called like, uh, does it take courage to start a business? Um, 
Benjamin Hardy. You know, it's at Clemson University. You could click it, read him. You know, anyone can read. It's kind of probably not that fun to read a masterpiece. <laughs> but um, the funny part about when you work with, like, when you go into a PhD program, you're usually working with a specific uh, advisor, more than a program. More of a program, you go to work with a specific person to do research with them. And so the person I was working with, um, she was one of the top researchers on the subject of courage, um, different levels of courage. And so I just was, she'd never done any research on entrepreneurs, never actually even seen courage applied to that. And so I just did that. But uh, I, the main thing that I went into was, and it was very, it was called qualitative data. So I was very much just interviewing people. I, mm -hmm. I didn't, I didn't really do any like surveys or anything like that. And not a lot of stats. There were some stats, but mostly it was just interviewing a lot of people who identified as people who wanted to be entrepreneurs, but, but, but weren't. So that was like one of the categories is you had to want to start a business, but that you had never actually done it and you were technically still uh an employee so we called those like the nascent entrepreneurs or people who were wannabe you know like yep and so you know so we I interviewed a boatload of those people and interviewed a boatload of people who were actually already entrepreneurs at different levels people who had started huge companies people who had you know not so big and then it was just kind of asking them the same questions and trying to figure out differences and one of the questions that I did ask was, was that, was that question of, have you ever had a point of no return experience? The follow-up question was what happened afterward if you had had one. And the intriguing part was, is that many of the people who were kind of in the nascent category, they said no, but they but a lot of them anticipated having a point of no return in the future. So as an example, like one of the people was like, you know, if I can get X contract, then that will be my point of no return or something. Like so a lot of them, they, they, they viewed that idea of a point of no return being like a point when they actually like go for it or like you know let go of being a an employee or whatnot and so they anticipate a lot of them anticipated in the future but admitted most of them said that they'd never had that whereas all literally all the entrepreneurs i interviewed said yes um they had all had point of no returns and many had, had multiple uh i even interviewed seth godin and you know just as a fun one and he said that you know he's had many points of no return. Um, I actually think we all go through those, um, like from a psychological standpoint, letting go of our past self in different ways. But as it related to the entrepreneurs, um, just going through that phase of going to a, and some of it was making an investment, bigger investment. Some of it was leaving something behind, but just, just that idea of making big decisions and moving forward with them versus overly holding on, um, was kind of one of the big differences. What are the, what, what do you feel like it showed in the research as the primary thing that kept want to be entrepreneurs or nascent in your words, uh, from actually taking the step? Clearly there is some aspect of fear courage because that was the topic of your thesis, but what, what were some of the most common or maybe the most common? I hate superlatives, so yeah, uh, yeah, I want to yeah. let you off the hook here because someone says, what's your favorite song of all time? That kills me. Uh, but what were some of the things that you saw um, that were keys in keeping people from either from wanting to be an entrepreneur or rather not that they didn't want to, but that they wanted to but didn't actually take action? I mean, admittedly, I actually didn't even really study that as where it sounds oh, like. I mean, okay. I have, I've, I've got my own, you know, plenty of philosophies and theories on that <laughs> nowadays, but like, you know, that was back in 2016 and the mo the primary question was just, um, around that point of no return. Have they ever had it? Have, you know, like what was their level of commitment to their future? Um, I, I think a commitment, uh, it was a huge one, just that obviously they were more committed to not doing it than doing it. Um, yeah. I think commitment is like a fundamental, fundamental aspect of who we are as people. Just we are all what we're committed to. Um, so yeah, I didn't really dig too deep, honestly, into the whys, why they hadn't done it yet. That wasn't, there's where might've probably been a great question, but I didn't really ask them that. <laughs> That's all right. I thought it might've come up in the research. Um, so you've already mentioned a couple things uh, that are hyper relevant to your new work. And just to plug the title here, 10X, is easier than 2x what um like specifically identity uh you and i were speaking briefly before we started recording you have this concept of past self current self future self and i'm wondering if you can start our way into this new material of yours by you know what roles like define each of those sort of terms for us and what roles do they play in our ability to pursue and or achieve the the dreams that we have, whether these are you know entrepreneurial dreams or cre creative creator dreams, like most of our audience who is listening today. But just we'll just leave it at dreams. Past self, future, present self, future self. What you know? What role does the identity play 
how we think and speak to ourselves, what does that play in, in our ability to actually live those dreams? It's huge. It's huge. I, I love what you're saying. Um, so identity kind of, when you ground it all down, it's basically two things. It's, it's the, you know, narrative, as you said, story narrative, uh, that's driving who you're being. Um, but it's also, uh, that which you're most committed to as a person. Uh, and so past self, present self, future self is huge. Cause obviously we all have past selves. Uh, we are in the present and we also have future selves, but what's really uh, crucial to understand when it comes to psychology is, is that people, people think about their past self, present self, and future selves the same way that they look at time. And how people are trained to look at time is, is that it's something that's outside of us and it's something that's sequential over time. Meaning like the past is behind us, the present is now, and the future is up ahead of us. And that those three are independent spheres and that they're actually different from one another. Um, the thing about psychology is, is that that's not actually how it works. Um, what, what, what we're kind of trained in psychology, not everyone, but like how I was trained in psychology to think about it is, is that time is not sequential. It's actually holistic. And so what that means is, is that, um, who I'm being right now fundamentally is based on how I frame my past and also how I'm framing my future. Um, like a really good example of that is Victor Frankl, Victor Frankl, man's search for meaning very much talks about like when people lost hope in the future, the present became toxic. It became like, honestly, meaningless and hard to bear. And there, therefore, um, like, you know, those conditions, man's search for meaning being a discussion on the concentration camps, like people without a connection to their future ultimately like died in the present because they're, and so, uh, you know, he, he was just very adamant that you needed hope in the future. You needed a future to be striving for in order to have uh, meaning in the present. But I just think a, a, fun, a, a huge insight that I think is a really big starting point and it kind of lays the foundation. And we can go deep on the identity side, even, you know, however far you want to go on that before we go into the difference between 10x and 2x. But a, a common approach, and I think a, a trained approach that we have, especially here in Western culture, is to assume that the past is what's shaping the present. And to take the past and use that as the explanation for the present, um, that I am who I am because of my past. And, and that seems intuitive, but when it comes to psychology, it's the opposite way. Um, it's the present that shapes the meaning of the past. And it, all, and it always is that way. Even memory is a reconstruction. It's not a retrieval. You're not trying to retrieve files of hidden of past events. You're literally reconstructing them in the present. And so it's far more empowering, but it's also far more accurate to say that the present is what shapes the meaning of the past and that you're always carrying the past with you and that that past is under constant revision or constant construction. And the more you know that, then the more you can let the present uh, shape the past in useful ways so that the past is a, an asset rather than a liability. So that's, that's one. It's just that you're always carrying the past, but also then the opposite. Um, that Well, with that knowledge, it's really important to realize you are not your past self. No one listening to this is their past self 10 years ago. I'll go as far as to say 10, 10 days ago. Uh, and the more you get used to realizing that you're not the same person you were in the past and, and get better and better at recognizing that, appreciating it, and even defining it, the more what we call flexible you become psychologically. And that's crucial for identity because you don't want to overly by, be identified with your past self. Not that your past self is anyone wrong, but just that here I am now, I can actually recognize ways I'm different than who I was last week. And that there are certain things that I absolutely would not say yes to today that I would have said yes to a week ago. Um, but the same is true of future. And I'll just lay this out and then wherever you want to go with identity, Great. but just as, just as, um, just as people typically take the past and use that to frame the present rather than the opposite way. Um, we often take the present and we use that to frame the future. What we, what I'm saying is, is what, what people typically do. And there's a lot of research on this Harvard psychologist, Daniel Gilbert. He did a lot of work on future self is that people take the present and they use that to, to shape their view of their future self. Uh, the primary reason that they do that is, is that they lack the imagination to actually imagine a different future self, which is actually accurate. Um, if you use the past, you recognize that you're not the same person you were in the past. The same will be true in the future. Your future self, very different from who you are. And so what you want to do psychologically, given that time is holistic psychologically, that the past, present, and future are all happening right now, is you want your future to be the dictator of who you are in the present. That's letting your future self decide who you are and what you do. Um, so you let the future determine the present, and you always let the present determine the past. And this allows a lot more psychological flexibility where um, I'm not my past self, but also pretty wildly and ridiculously, I'm also not my present self. Who I am in the present moment, as Daniel Gilbert would say, is as fleeting as the present moment. Therefore, I don't have to defend my current self or my past self um, because I know that my future self will be different. And so you can then start operating powerfully as your future self 
while at the same time continuously uh, appreciating your present and your and your former self. Um, so I, th- I just think that that's a really more powerful approach, and it starts to lay the foundation of 10x and 2x. But where do you want to go with that when this it comes is, to identity? No, I, right now I'm envisioning like like let's say like 30% of our listeners, like they just press pause and they went back and listened to you throughout these terms, past self, present self, future self, the relationship between them. They're listening to that again right now. And so my goal here is just, just let's just put a um, put a bow on those and I'll try and do totally. so. I love through, it. Through, through, through the vehicle of a question to you. So say what you said about time again but put it in a way that someone who fears time, like time is fleeting. I, I, I gotta be in a hurry. Uh, you know, time is this thing that's running in the background. Talk to us, just, you know, give us three sentences if you can on time. Like why is that construct not that helpful? That view of time? Yeah. The view of time. Like I, I, there's just like, when I think of people who are listening, Right now, they're judging themselves because they haven't become who they want to be, or they're in a position right now where they ate donuts for the past nine months. And oh gosh, I wish I could undo the past. And because future, it's going to be hard because I now had you know ten donuts a day for a hundred days in a row. There's and and as you you know wisely said, psychologically we root that that angst sort of in time and you know, my understanding of how you look at it is that there's this a little bit of that, like that's not accurate. All of those things, you know, boil down to some basically to now, how should they think about time? The people who are listening right now who are, might be confused. Yeah. And I am grateful for that. And I know you love your audience and, um, I know that these are kind of heady ideas. Um, yeah. I think a, a really useful thing is to, Firstly, utilize your past as a tool. I look at the past and future as tools for more fully operating in the present. So as an example, like if I, if I have rigid views of my past, and we've all gone through hard things, even those sure. nine months of eating donuts, right? Um, <laughs> like whatever, like I, I just think it's very powerful and very useful to realize that it's always you in the present that gets to determine not only what your past means, but what you can do as a result. You get to determine in the present what you do as a result of those nine months of donut eating. You also get to determine what it means. And you don't have to blame your past self. You certainly don't have to over-identify those nine months of donuts with your present self. Um, because your present self isn't eating the donuts right now. Even if your past self did, there's no, there's not really any value in, in, in being mad at your past self. Certainly you can learn and make different decisions than your past self, but it's very powerful to disconnect your present from your past self. What I mean is, is there's, you are, there's, yeah, you aren't who you were, right? You're not by definition, a donut eater because you ate donuts every day for night. This is a hilarious example that we're pulling on here, but yeah, yeah, you yeah. can, you can imagine the same as I'm not a, someone who's trying to quit smoking. I'm not a smoker because I smoked for 20 years, or I'm not a, uh, a bad student because I got bad grades when I was in eighth grade, for example. Yeah. And I, and I try to not overly pull on even those kind of common approaches to identity of such as saying like, I'm not this, I am that. Um, I think that in, in more simple terms, um, you can, you can look at the past in different time frames, And I think it's really powerful to do this where go back to 2013, right? We're, we're talking in 2023. And so go back to 2013 and just look at all the ways in which you're, you're different from who you were back then. Um, think about the things that you, you valued back then, even the people you spent the most time with. Think about how you defined success back then. Um, think about the things that you've now done that your past self would have never even considered possibilities, right? And so, but, and so like that's 10 years ago, you could also go back to 2020, like, to 2020, go back to three years ago, right? And just think about the difference between who you are and what you're what you're doing. And, and, and the easiest way to do this is to just think about like, what are the things that you used to say yes to versus the things that you say yes to now? And the things that you said yes to back then that you absolutely would say no to now. Um, a, a really important aspect of identity is, and I mentioned or, earlier, uh, that which you're most committed to. And, and and how I define that as a person is, is your identity is your, is your standards. Standards and identity kind of fit together. And, and your minimum standard, which is the floor, represents the base of what you say yes to. 
and everything below that floor, you don't say yes to. So as an example, if I do eat donuts, then that means that that's not below my floor. That means that it's above my floor because I'm saying yes to it. And so it's really powerful to look at where your minimum standard is as a person and, and the things that you used to say yes to. It could be ways you spent your time. It could be people you said yes to. It could be activities you said yes to. And just recognizing that now there are certain things that you utterly would never do, not because your past self was a bad person, but just because it no longer meets the standard of what, what you, def, you know, what you would say yes to. Um, so I think that that's a, a very useful way. And then just simply, you can do that on very smaller timescales as well. Like look back at 2020 or sorry, 2023, go back to January. Think about who you were back then. Just think about the things you said yes to back then, the things that you were focused on back then. And then think about your own floor and think about what are some of the things at the beginning of the year that I was saying yes to regularly that now like, no, I've weeded those things out. Like those are and not that again, not that my past self's a bad person, but that uh, it just has no interest for me for various reasons. Um, and so I just think it's very valuable to do that even on a weekly basis, genuinely. Mm. At the end of the week, look back and just be like, all right, how am I different from who I was at the beginning of the week? Uh, what do I now know that I didn't know then? Like what what's now possible or what am I now committed to, right? Because to the idea of you are what you're most committed to, what, mm-hmm. how is my commitment different than what it was a week ago? Um, you know, what am I, what was I saying yes to a week ago that now I would say no to? Stuff like that. All right. So if, if I can make a punchline, and this is a generalization, that who you were yesterday doesn't in fact define who you are now or who you can be in the future. You've talked about past self, present self, future self. Let's try and tie this to the concept of identity before we get into this. What I'm fascinated with is obviously the title of the book being 10X is Easier Than 2X, or the concept rather. And what role does, you know, relate to me, if you can, the, the, I, the, the spectrum of time that we've been discussing and the role that identity shapes or the, that identity plays in shaping who we are? Yeah. So identity. So it's very powerful to have your identity rooted in your future self, the person you want to be uh, and getting better and better at at not overly like like there's a lot of wiggle room when it comes to future self. Um, what Daniel Gilbert talks about is that people falsely assume that who they are in the present is who they're going to be in the future. So this is the idea of letting the present determine and shape the future rather than letting a future and maybe even a seemingly impossible future called a 10x future, letting that future determine who you are in the present. Two totally different approaches to life, two totally different approaches to time. So from my view and Viktor Frankl's view, the future is the most powerful anchor for who you are in the present. Uh, In my mind, the present, think about all of us, like the present is very flexible. Like the present circumstances, the economy, my mood. There's so many things in the present that you don't want to base your reality on your present, even your present self. That would be a fixed mindset, um, but also your present circumstances, which are very variable. Instead, the future self that you that you want to be, that um, that's a far more powerful anchor for what you can be and what you can do. And so from an identity piece, uh, certainly you don't want the identity of your past self. And I argue you don't even want the identity of your present self. Instead, it's your future self, the person you want to be kind of like the idea of first be, then do, then have, right? Um, and so getting really connected to your future self and who that person is uh, and who who they are, and then letting that be the deciding factor in who you are today and what you want to do. Um, and when it comes to your past self, you don't need to, I, I, I'm loudly saying don't identify as your past self. You're not your past self. Um, you certainly can, and I invite everyone to have a positive view of their past self. Um, even my dad, as an example, my dad was a drug addict. I can have a positive view even of my dad's past self. He's no longer a drug addict, but I can have empathy and compassion for my father for where he was at. Uh, and I don't have to frame him as a villain. Uh, I don't have to frame my own past self and eating nine months worth of donuts as a villain. I can def- I can say that I am not my past self. They're amazing. Here are the ways my current self is different. Here's my future self and the person I want to be. And I'm going to let that future self to determine the choices I make here and now. And even in the present, looking at my life and recognizing a lot of my present life is actually a more reflection of my past self, not that future self. And Mm. that the future self is actually what shines the light 
on that so I can actually make the decisions here and now which things go and which things I go deep on. Is it as simple as if we we buy into your prescription that the future self is the best way to anchor an identity? I am a person who uh, you're telling yourself a story about what future self wants. And is it as much, is it as simple as pretending that you are already your future self? My future self who is in shape eats well, again, these are very, very benign topics, but I'm hoping to make them benign so that you can apply them to things that are very individual and particular in your life. But let's just keep with the donuts metaphor. I'm my, my future self is a person who is, you know, fit, has a, uh, is living a very long and rich, healthy life. And therefore my future self, or sorry, my, my present self then understands intuitively that eating donuts is not on the path. It's not a piece of the path or eating 10 donuts a day rather is not eating is not, uh, sometimes you gotta do that, man. Path. Sometimes when I'm in a, <laughs> Sometimes when I'm writing a book and I am so broken, I'm going to grab those donuts. I like, um, yeah, I wanted to be clear. Like no, some no, donuts are good. We're talking no, about 10 you. donuts a day. Yeah. I really like the quote that it's better to be a meaningful specific than a wandering generality. And I think that often when people talk about identity, they're speaking overly general. For example, using James Clear's language, I am a runner. Um, I really don't like that way of talking about identity. I don't think it's, I think that an overly general, none of people are not general. People are specific. And so I think it's more powerful to have a specific future self than a general future self of I am a runner or I am a healthy person or I, to me, that's not how people actually identify. I'm a very specific person. I've got very specific interests. Uh, I like this kind of music. I like that kind of food. Those are the kind of, and so I think that, I think that the, you know, overly general, generalizing your identity, even your future self, I think is a robotic and a non uh, human approach to identity. And so when I think about future self, um, it's very much, uh, like get specific in, in what, in who your future self is, what, what your future self is up to, what really matters to your future self. Um, Am I a really, two, I'm a two thirty miler or sorry, a two thirty marathoner. If is that's that... what you want, if that's absolutely what you want. Yes. When it comes to deliberate, like the idea of deliberate practice, the more yeah. specific, the goal, obviously the more specific, the path. Yes. And so, yeah, it's, it, it's very much more powerful to anchor your future self on specifics. If it is a 230 miler or a marathoner, if that's like really a powerful experience you want to have as your future self, that is a much more powerful view than I am a runner to like, and, and so that you have something to anchor your process or your practice or your present to. Um, and so yeah, I think having specifics in your future and also just recognizing, I think that people don't like to anchor, like anchor their future self to specific things. Like I wrote this book, right? Or um, like they don't, but those things are actually really powerful. Um, and it's not that those actually define you. Those are just honestly maps. Like they actually give you direction. They give you something to focus on. Um, they give you something to work toward. You're never actually like, no matter what, even if I achieve that, right? Even if I achieve that goal. And now I actually hit the 230 marathon. Of course, by the time I get there, I will have a future self. <laughs> and so then that person will have a future self that then they can orient towards. Um, but I think just defining out who your future self is and what matters so that then you can actually be focused in the present um, is very helpful. When I wrote my last book, which was called Creative Calling, the, the, there's a four-step creative process. And the first one, it's basically the idea, I-D-E-A, imagine, design, execute, amplify. What I found in my, um, I would say, research is, and it also uh, qualitative over quantitative, asking people, what I saw, what I, what I experienced also myself was that the, it is so strange and basically it's like hiding in, in plain sight that one of the hardest things that we can do is the imagining part, imagining what's possible, mostly because we take cues from, you know, a, a lack of information or a lack of something that would light us up. What role you talked about imagining, you know, this future self. So, you know, did you see the same that I did that people really struggle to define uh, something that they want to be or become, and what advice would you have 
for you know those people who want to get better at this practice, the practice of imagining a future self, a future state that we would like to to be. Yeah, it is. It is the. It is very difficult for people. Um, one of the things that I think is important to ask the listener or ourselves is how much time do you actually spend practicing imagination? Like, how much time do you actually? Is it a daily thing or is it a weekly thing? Or is it even when was the last time you even spent five minutes actually thinking about a future that you want um, versus just waking up, plugging into the phone and then going to work, right? Um, like how much time do you actually spend doing it um, in terms of practicing the skill? Um, so I think that that's, yes, imagination takes time. It takes skill. Uh, it takes, I, I view it as a continuous process. Like there's never a point when, like I, I view very much the future self and even the past past and future as like a draft, draft of a book, right? It's something that's under constant revision. And so you don't need to like say, okay, got the future. It's perfect. Now I got that perfect plan. Um, constant revision. And a week from now, you can probably have a little bit of a different perspective. Um, and so I think just giving yourself the space, I think giving yourself the space, I really love journaling, obviously, and putting yourself in certain environments where you can like learn even listening to this. Chances are you can use this as background noise for actually like thinking about possibilities. Um, one of the, I think the really important components, and I kind of, and this kind of a little bit starts to kind of inch into 10X is the idea of impossible. And, and I think that it's a really useful construct to play with the idea of impossible. Usually as people, we don't entertain things that we think are impossible simply because they're, we think they're impossible. So we don't even spend much time imagining them, let alone like trying to like strategize them, think about it, actually like, let alone get committed to it. Right. Um, and so, but impossible uh, as a concept is actually extremely useful. And, and in terms of like really pra highly practical, like there are two ways I look at future self that I think are really powerful tools. One, if I'm thinking about my next quote unquote 10X, 10X doesn't have to be specific. Like when I say it doesn't have to be specific, it literally does not have to be a quantitative 10X. Although it can be, I could have a 10 times bigger net worth or sell 10 times more books or have a 10 times bigger podcast. Or if I want to do it that way, or a different 10x, right? 10 times more free time, right? Um, you can do it that way. Um, what I'm more talking about is you at a fundamentally next level, like whatever that may be. I, I very much consider 10x qualitative, similar to like a child going from crawling to walking. Like that is a 10x jump, as I'm describing it, where now as a walker, that child has so many different possibilities, honestly, a different life than they did if they had remained a crawler. So your 10x is that equivalent. You're the crawler, your future self is the walker in a totally different world. Um, and so how I look at your 10x future self, I honestly think that it sh it really, it can take as long as you want, but I, I think it can be done every three to five years max, where in those three to five years, your life, yourself, it is honestly incomparable. So as an example, if I went back to my life in 2020, there are certain things, of course, I'm still writing books, but there are fundamentally huge aspects of my life, myself, that are on a different sphere. Um, and so... I like to look at it as call it three to five years. You get clear on your next next level, whatever that looks like. And it should feel impossible. You don't know how to get there. You don't even know if there is a path there. I'm telling you that's very useful. It's a beautiful starting point. Be willing to think about that. And another thing that I think is a useful thing to look at in, psycho like in, in, in psychology, you've got achievement, which is external accomplishment. You also have what's called aspiration, which is about internal development, character development, growth, skills. I believe like how I approach it, at least, and this isn't like the <laughs> perfect science. It's just more like I like as an approach that the next qual call it 10x, whatever that is, that over those three to five years, and it doesn't have to be exactly that, but I think I, I, I think as a tool, if you're going for past that in time, then it lacks the urgency to force you to start finding pathways now. If you push the future 10 years out, it it's not a powerful enough tool to force you to start finding new pathways and force you to start letting go of things. Yeah. But, but just as a quick thought, that 10 X in those three to five years or less, you actually grow and accomplish more than everything in your life up to that point period. So if I'm 35 years old and my next 10 X is at age 37 or 38 in those two to three years, not only do I grow internally, which involves developing skills and stuff, but also letting go of a lot of stuff that's holding me back. I grow internally and achieve externally more in that three or so years than everything to this point combined. And then from there, you can use short-term, call it 90-day goals, and you use those. You still go for impossible goals. I have 90-day goals that are freaking impossible. 
and and we can go into why that's a useful tool. But that's I think that just playing with these things allows you to start getting clear and start opening yourself up so that then you can start strategizing it. Specifically, you talked about, I think that's very, very helpful, like envisioning, imagining a world and whether this is 10x or possible, I think on the time frame that you shared, that's great. One of the keys I heard in there is journaling. What, you know, what specifically would you recommend for journaling to start to understand these possibilities? Is it just playing with these 10x concepts of the difference between the you that is a crawler now versus the you that can be a walker in three to five years? Is that the topic that one ought to journal or would you have a different recommendation? So one thing that's really important with all this that I think a lot of people, they don't allow themselves to do, and we actually talk about this in 10X versus 2X. A lot of people, they do things only because they think that they have to. Um, often you get to a, like, even when, even when people actually become, call it financially or externally successful, they then have a hard time thinking about their future self call it, they have a hard time finding a why. Because now they've kind of accomplished the things that they need to, and they've never actually given themselves the space to do what they want to. And this whole idea of 10X being something is, is being something that you want to, and, and um, honestly getting to the point where you're a lot more honest with yourself. Uh, I love the quote, all progress starts by telling the truth, and getting to a place where you're stripping away doing things because you have to, um, or getting doing things out of security because you think you need it. And so it, it, it takes a lot to actually start to imagine a future that you really, really want. Mm-hmm. Um, and and thinking about why you want that, why it's so important. Um, but to your question of the crawling to the walking self, um, back to the idea of meaningful, specific, wandering generality, that next version of you, the quote unquote walking version of you, you know, and using Viktor Frankl's language, that future purpose that you're fulfilling, um, is you at, you know, as you at a fundamentally different level, doing things that the current walk crawling version of you cannot do. But now the walking version of you absolutely is doing, can do, et cetera. Uh, in, one, in one way of looking at it, it was me as a graduate student with zero blog, seeing myself as a professional author, having conversations with people like Chase Jarvis, right? Like that was my future self that admittedly, as a graduate student with zero blog or never even tried to write a book, that was not me. But that was the future that I was thinking about. The current version of me, and this is why it's not quantitative, it might not even be me doing books, right? Like this is why it could be qualitative is my future self, the next version of me, maybe completely out of this conversation where my future self three years from now isn't doing podcasts anymore because I'm off doing something that's very different as it relates to what that version of me values, which I also value, which is why I'm going to orient my life towards that. But it's not me now. And that's then the 10x future that I then go and transform into. And so it's just powerful to have that future to then deliberately practice towards, evolve towards, make decisions towards. Um, and it could be and often is very different from what you're doing now. It could be a continuation. I could very much just say, I want to just 10 times better the books I'm writing and sell 10 times more. And that's totally fine. But sometimes it's if you really stretch it and really think about who you want to be and what you want to do, sometimes it then takes you out of what you're now doing. And that's a beautiful thing as well. All right. I'm going to put a pin in a couple of things and try and I'd like to shift our gear here, shift into the 10X, the book specifically, but it's really the concept around the book. The book is fantastic, by the way. Um, The principle I'm going to, in my own words, that I think my audience who are listening and watching right now will understand but I then want you to take this, judge it. You can, you know, maybe put some window dressing on it or correct me where I make a mistake. But I want to get to the the heart of how and why you think this is valuable. So the concept is that most of us go around, go through life thinking, oh, I want to get incrementally better. I used to be able to do 20 pushups. I want to be able to do 25 because 25 is more than 20. And that shows that's me getting better. This is a very popular, historically a very popular idea, like set goals that are achievable, create momentum, and you'll be on your way. The concept that you're you know, providing us with here in tennis is actually 10x is easier specifically because when your goals are incremental, your mindset is also incremental. You do not change the behaviors that are actually going to unlock past self and connect you to this future self for which you are imagining something great for yourself. So in a sense, we trap ourselves with this idea of getting incrementally better when we really ought to 
completely rewrite what's possible. And you talked about even actually doing impossible things. This is how impossible things become possible. So clean up what I just said and then tell us like, holy shit, this sounds, this sounds fictional. And yet the research is very clear that it does actually change your behavior and it does unlock this 10x future self. First off, I just want to have to like seriously compliment you as a as a person to have conversations with. I love how just like sharp and pointed you are and like points. I just love I love <laughs> I, I'm enjoying as a as a as a participant in the conversation. And so I, I imagine that I, I know why people enjoy this. I'm just saying that I'm just saying it's very fun to talk to you. Awesome. Um, Thank you very much. So. OK. If you're, I'm going to just explain the difference between 10x and 2x, and then we're just going to continue forth on Great. the beautiful questions you just asked. Great. So a 2x mindset is what we're calling a, a, a linear, linear, which where you're honestly, as I'm saying it, you're taking the past and the present, and you're using those as the basis for creating more of it in the future. Mm-hmm. 2x, as an idea, is mostly just doing more of what you're now doing, just more of it. Um, and so, and... Basically, we used the 80-20 principle as the kind of core framework for defining the difference between 10x and 2x in a different way than the uh, the 80-20 rule, but it's kind of just that idea of if you want to go for 2x in anything, what that means is that you can keep 80% of who you are now. You can keep 80% of what you're doing. You can keep the 80%. You only have to get 20% better, maybe a 20% different product or something. It's really very, uh, very much a continuation of the past I mean, the present to the future. And that they honestly look very similar. Um, That's why you can keep 80%. And then 10x is very different. And and by the way, I'll just say, if you're going for 2x or going for any form of very like small progress, one of the reasons why that's uh, painful and difficult is that it's not a big enough difference to define what's actually useful. Call it to, to, to define the 80 from the 20. When you make the future... 10 times different, 10 times bigger. The reason that one of the reasons that's a very useful tool and one of the reasons it starts to make life a lot easier is is that because that future is so big, so different, you actually have no clue how to get there. It actually does seem impossible. And I invite you to make it impossible, genuinely. One of the reasons why you want to make it impossible is is that now you don't know how to do it. Therefore, now we're no longer operating from the past. That's a beautiful place to be. Um, But because that future is so big and is impossible, the beautiful aspect of that is, is that almost everything you're doing right now won't work to get you there. Definitely not 80% like you are if you're going for 2x. It is so far away, so different, so impossible that almost nothing you're doing right now will get you there. And that's exactly where you want it to be. And so using the 80-20 model, what we kind of use is just kind of shorthand framework is, is that if you're going to go for a 10x future, 80% of what you're doing right now won't work. 80% has to get weeded out, has to get filtered out. This is the idea of the future as a filter. A 10x future is a really good filter because it forces you to look really intensely at almost every at everything you're doing and to realize almost all of it, and this is kind of a, a hard truth, but almost all of it is past self. Almost none of it is future self. Call it the 80% of everything in your life is what you're holding on to out of emotional security, out of habit, out of paycheck, out of whatever it is, you're holding on to it solely because it's it's an emotionally secure thing. And we like security, we like stability. And so um, what happens when you have called the 10x future? First off, beautiful filter. You you know that almost nothing you're doing right now will get you there. And so it, it just shines a light. You don't have to let go of the 80%, but at least it now shows you what it is. And then it forces you to go and find the much more effective pathways, people that might get you there. And so it's, it allows your brain to start looking for the new pathways, the new opportunities, um, that it wouldn't have been looking for. Our, in psychology, we call it selective attention. That you you honestly find what you're looking for. But if you if you if you're not even thinking about it, of course you're not looking for it. And so you can then start to go for, find, and look for that 20% of things that can take you there. Um, I mean, I, I'm happy to go as practical as you want on this. You ask whatever you want, but I mean, there are very new, like very specific ways you can really apply this. Well, I, I yeah, again, I want to put continue to sort of yeah. Uh, uh, anchor sort of with these sort of milestones along the way through our conversation here there, you said one thing that I would like to get clarity on, and that is, this is a beautiful place to start from. And the, the voice in my head as someone who believes this concept wholeheartedly, I'm very passionate about this. As we described before we started recording, like I, 
your book has done such a beautiful job of putting you know, words and framing around a thought and a feeling that I've had in my life. And so, A, I thank you. That's one of the reasons I wanted to have you back on the show. But the I'm trying to think of the counterpoint, which is like, wait a minute, Ben just said, great, you have to throw out 80% of your life. And that's an excellent place to start from. Most people are saying, holy shit, that's a terrifying, dangerous place to start from. What in the world would make me grateful or excited to throw out 80% of everything that I've got now? So the cool part is this, and, and I get that. The cool part is, is that you don't have to throw it away now. It's a recognition. Because remember, we're taking the future very seriously. We're saying that the future is actually um, the filter for how to look at the present. We're not saying that that future self is here. We're using that as the as kind of the way to look at the present. And so it allows you to look at the present and say, okay, if that future self was true, it might take three years, might take five, who knows, that most of this stuff's not gonna be there. I don't have to get rid of it all now, but over the process of becoming that future self, call it over three years, I know that 80% of this stuff's not gonna be there anymore. I'm not saying I have to get rid of it all now, but I at least am now being honest with myself that a lot of this stuff I'm holding on to, uh, I wouldn't really keep if I didn't think I had to. And I absolutely wouldn't keep if I was my 10X future self. In fact, it wouldn't have been there. I would have had to let go of it in order to become that 10X future self. Let's, and let's, so- I'm, I'm, I'm gonna throw something in there just so we have a, a, something yeah. to grasp onto. This, let's just go, I wanna be a 230 mar marathoner. That's the, my future self. And so the, I've gotta let go of 80% because that right now I'm say not even a runner and I'm gonna be a 230 marathoner. The things that I am now aware of and getting used to, getting comfortable with letting go are that, you know, I may want to change how physically I show up in the world. And I may want to have a different set of habits and practices. I may want to change, uh, you know, focus on things like VO2 max when right now I don't have <laughs> any idea, but I know that- That would probably be in your 20%. That might be in the 20% of things that really matter to get really good at. Yeah. Yeah. But, but there, the, the point there is that, and again, I'm trying to be specific here so people can grasp these, these, what I think are really insightful, but also counterintuitive concepts that, oh, I now have to recognize that again, these, this 80, 20 principle is we're, we're speaking sort of roughly here, but just that, that there are so many aspects of the vision that I have of myself as a runner that I, I've got to let go. One that I'm really not one. One that my, I may need to change my physical body composition. May I, two, I may need to change my mental practices to start to visualize the possibilities. Like, so I think your, about the 80%, I think about the 80% very practically. Okay. Seriously, I think about the 80% as activities. They're things I'm doing. So as an example, maybe in the 80%, I'm no longer, uh, you know, doing X activities, whatever it is, plan, you know, spending five hours a day on social media. That might be in my 80%, right? It could be habits, right? It could be things I'm doing, eating the donuts, right? Um, it could be people I'm with, right? It could be, and so activities could even include like a job, right? Or a role that you play. Uh, mm -hmm. I think about them very much like they're things, like um, things that I'm either doing, so I'm, they're things I'm doing that I can stop doing. They're people I'm with that I can stop mm -hmm. being with or less with. Um, and so there, there are things that literally you can truly let go of. They can be ideas in your head. Certainly fear can be a part of the 80%. I mean, we don't ever overcome fear entirely, but like holding on to people's opinions and stuff like that can be part of the things you've got to let go of. Um, so yeah, I'll, I'll get, let me give, let me give an example that I think is easy for people to understand. And then I'm actually honestly going to give my current self as an example. Great. The Love thing, it. so like to the idea of the runner, the example I use in the book that, and I think it really helps people with is my son, Caleb, who's a tennis yeah. player. This one really helps people get it is, is that my son, Caleb, 15 years old, an amazing tennis player. He really wants to be a college tennis player. Like that's his future self. That's, th that's the future that's in large part shaping the stuff he's doing in the present. Um, and his coach, when I was writing 10X is easier than 2X, which is about a year ago, he has now a different coach, a better coach. But, um, you know, the coach back then was just pushing him and just saying, Caleb, what's your goal? Uh, just trying to understand the kid he's coaching so that he can coach him in a different way. And Caleb just said, I really want to play in college. And, and his coach pushed him. His coach said, well, why isn't your goal to go pro? Just honestly, just messing with him. And Caleb said, I don't know. Like he just honestly, that was not part of his goal. That's not part of his future self. He's not that committed to tennis. Um, but 
I just thought it was a useful idea. And so I was, I was asking Caleb the question, Caleb, you know, when this is when we were driving home that night, I just said, Caleb, what do you think? Do you think that, uh, do you think you could go pro? Like I was just honestly messing with him and he's just like, I have no idea. You know, this is the idea of if it's an impossible goal, you usually don't entertain it. You're definitely not committed to it. And you're definitely not strategizing it. But I just asked him, Caleb, do you think that you're actually on a current tra trajectory? Do you think you're on a path that's actually going to get you to college? And he said, I don't know. I think so. I said, what about pro? Like, let's be honest. Is your path going to get you to pro? And he just, he knew. He said, no, absolutely not. And so like, here's kind of one of the really important points is, is that um, I live in Orlando and there are hundreds of coaches here in Orlando. Like there are, there are, think about it in terms of pathways. There are infinite pathways, not infinite, but there are, there are large numbers of pathways that could get him to his college goal. He could possibly get there by playing on any high school in our city. Um, like, and there's a lot of good coaches there. Um, but if he actually truly made the goal pro, which would be an equivalent of a 10 X, it'd be an equivalent of an impossible goal to the idea of almost nothing would work. N he couldn't play high school tennis if his goal was to go pro that would now officially become a part of the 80%. He could not do that anymore because to play at that level, the, the standard is so high. First off, almost not, like there are very few call it pathways to getting there. Almost all the coaches in Orlando wouldn't get him there. He'd have to say no. So remember, it's a higher filter. And so almost everything he's doing now wouldn't work. And so we, if we were actually to commit to that goal, first off, it would make it a lot easier if we committed that goal to get him into college because it would force us to find the few people, coaches, pathways, things that really matter at that level are going to really matter at the college level. But if we weren't filtering for that. So that's just one of the main ideas is that higher goals, less pathways, and that they will force you to find, honestly, the fewest paths that really matter. If you're going for the college goal, there's way too much variance. I, 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 there's too many potential options and it doesn't force you to 80, 20, the ones that really matter. So like that, that's one thing. Um, I don't know if you want to like pin up and no, button up that no, one, but I would just keep going. Like where did, and where did you land with Caleb? Because I, I mean, I think this is, this is the example that to me, you know, I should have just grabbed this one from the book, but this, the level of concreteness that the listener or watcher right now is experiencing is like, aha, I know that if just I, I play at any high school, I might have a chance of getting to college. If I have a good coach, it's probably, that's the typical path. But by realizing that, oh my goodness, if you deconstruct the life of Roger Federer or Serena Williams or any of the people who are the best in the world, their path turns out was very different. And the number of choices that they had in a field of what used to be a million are now a half dozen. And you start to realize that, oh, I can actually now un see, understand, look, smell, taste what it would be like to be on one of those paths. And sort of it's this glaring, it's the contrast that provides the value. And what you just said, that the path of Serena Williams and them versus the average tennis player going for college, it being very different. That's what happens when you start going for 10X is that you have to find those different, I call them nonlinear. You have to find very different paths, which most people are not looking for because most people are going for 2X, right? Um, mm -hmm. And those paths are gonna look very different from what you've been doing in the past. And so, but, but those are the paths, by the way, with the biggest upside. Those are the paths that may work to getting you to the impossible goal. So obviously they're very useful. The coaches that you, to actually work with one of those coaches who put could get you there, that's gonna be a freaking amazing coach. Um, and so that's like the 20% and, and, and looking for those. Um, I'm gonna give a different example that's more relevant to my own life, but I think that um, I think that in giving this example, people will really start to, to mess with this. So I, I as I described, described the kind of kind of the holistic 10x, the big picture 10x is call it three years getting to a fundamentally different level. That could be 10 xing your net worth, 10 xing It could be you being the version of you walking. For me, it's going to be doing things that are honestly a little bit more like on, on like the spiritual aspect of things that matter to me, my next 10X. Um, but um, here's, here's where like you've got the big picture 10X and that's informing a lot of your strategy here and now. I then, what I like to do, and I think it's really useful is I really love 90 day timeframes and that every 90 days I actually pursue impossible goals on 90 day timeframes that are of course relevant to my big picture future self that I'm going for. And so over a 90 day period of time, it's powerful to have impossible goals um, for those 90 days. 
and then to use those impossible goals as a filter for what you do here and now. So let me give myself as an example. Quarter four of 2023, I set some goals that honestly, I'm probably not gonna get anywhere near hitting. But me and my team are committed to them, so committed that they're informing the choices we make. And they're informing not only that, but my calendar. So as an example, one of the things that's one of my impossible goals is to write the book that I'm writing, but it's not just putting words on paper, it's obviously writing it at the level I want to, which I don't think I can do. Um, that's why it's an impossible goal is I'm afraid to write this book. I don't even know if I can. But, and then there's a, a few other things, practical, trying to get 500,000 YouTube subscribers, nowhere near that. But a few goals that honestly, I'm not gonna hit. I could, there's, there, there is a way to do it, but I probably won't even get ballpark on these things. But we're using those, we're committing to those, and then we're using those as the filter for looking at our lives. The person who works on my YouTube channel, okay, crap, if we're really gonna go for 500, we probably need a few more thumbnail people. Like actually using the impossible goal as the deciding factor for what we're doing now. In terms of my schedule, I showed my assistant my, my impossible goals, and she then looked at my schedule. And she said, Ben, you have 25 podcasts scheduled. And there were other things. You can't do those if you're going to write that book and if you're going to do these things. Literally, we counted 20, 25 of them. Like, I, we, I really, I love your podcast. And so, like, <laughs> you're, no, I'm serious. I got I through like, the filter. <laughs> I, well, big time. Because I honestly, like, I love your podcast. And I'm like, oh, we can go and chase Jarvis. Like, keep that. So I told my assistant we can keep five. But, like, what I'm saying is those podcasts, those 25 podcasts, and this is just one example. I would have, I was stoked to do those. But in light of my impossible goals, I now couldn't because the filter became so high that there was no way I could do it if I was serious about the impossible goals, which, and here's something that's really important to think about. Doing those podcasts, and I'm just using this as a practical example, could have largely taken what I'm already at 2x. But the things that I want to do that were impossible goals have the potential to take me 100x. I'm not saying that they will. Writing that book has a shot to take me 100x. Um, when I'm thinking about even 2024, there is something that I'm going to let go of, call it in my 80%, that terrifies me. It actually represents literally 70% of my income for 2023. 70% of my 2023 income, I'm not going to do in 2024 because I am so freaking stoked on the 20% that, like one of them as an example, I have this pretty high level coaching program that I've been doing for four or five years. I was going to make an upgraded version of it and do it next year. And it wasn't going to cost me that much time. But I know it costs me a lot here. And like, I ultimately decided, like my assistant forced, you know, I love her. And by the way, you can train your team to like filter you. Is this in the 80%? <laughs> yes. Is this in the 20%? I think you train your environment, right? But yeah. um, in the case of this, this thing, because the 80% isn't just situational. It's not just my donuts. It's also my strategy. The 80% is also my paths and the things that I'm investing myself into. And as you know, that could have been the po podcast. Those are strategic, right, for my goals. But some of those can get filtered out. And in terms of um, what I was going to do for 2024, I was, and I'm kind of scared not to do it. But I am getting more and more committed to the to the real 10x. Yeah, is, is I was going to do this big podcast, uh, this big mastermind group, and it was going to make me a lot of money. Um, but ultimately, because I'm so getting more and more committed. To the idea of identity, the idea of commitment, the idea of minimum standard and floor, because I'm getting more and more. And by the way, the idea of floor, because the floor for those 90 days was so high, most of those podcasts I would have said yes to, but because the floor was so freaking high, I actually had to say no to a lot of things that I wanted to say yes yeah. to. Yeah. Um, but just to next year and I'll end it. And I want you to go wherever you want with this, but um, like to say no to what I was going to do scares me a little bit. Not everyone should do it this way. I, 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 I'll be fine in terms of finances, but like it is a little scary. Like, um, but me saying no to it is so deep on the proving of the commitment to what I'm going to go for, like in terms of writing certain books and stuff like that and really going yeah. for it, that I now have cleared my 2024 of that. And, and the only reason I did that, not because I just love throwing stuff out of my life that's awesome, the only reason I'm doing it is because the future and the quote unquote impossible future is filtering it out. It's not like I'm just doing this stuff because I'm a masochist and I like just seeing if I can overcome fears. It's letting the future truly be the deciding factor and doing it wisely. It's not like I, like I thought about that for six, eight months. It's not like I just like threw it out and like threw my family with six kids under the bus. No, like I, I, am, I am making risks, 
but I, I am doing it thoughtfully and it's not like you let go of all the 80% at once, but to let go of something that now I've cleared my 2024 and I'm now like literally like saying, I'm going for this thing that had 2X upside and I'm now going for something that has 100, well, 10, but maybe even 100% upside. If there's no guarantee with it, but it has the 10X or 100X potential and I'm clearing away the things with two or three X potential, um, that's huge. That's huge. That's huge. That is very, very helpful. Thank you for using, being willing to use yourself as an example. I'm happy to. Really, I'm, really, I'm sharing with you what I'm learning since <laughs> writing the book. I'm sharing yeah. with you the, the practical applications. Well, and this is sort of what I want out of a, out of a show, right? I, we can all read the book, but to, to hear how the author himself are using it is, 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 very, is, is very, very valuable. There's one last thing that I want to get before I let you go. And that is the idea that this actually, the concepts, they exist for people already. There are experiences that we've all had in our lives, right? Uncovering your 10X past, to use your framework. It, it is it helpful to see that's possible that you're doing it already. Can you explain that in you know, in 90 seconds as a fantastic primer for people to understand that this is actually within their own experience, not, not even just like possible, but they've actually done it already. hundred percent. Anyone who's listening to this has already done it. Um, done it many times. If you can walk, you've done it. Um, but I think it's powerful to look back on when you committed to something at some point in time. And that involved you letting go of a lot of who you then were and you went for it, right? You, you had your own 80%, whatever that looked like back then. For me, when I was a 19 year old kid, I played 15 hours of World of Warcraft every day, right? That became a part of my 80% that I had to let go of. So I could go and do things that I felt were more valuable, more important. Um, certain friends, even in high school that I had to stop hanging out with. Like, but then even along the way, uh, to get into college, right? Uh, I barely graduated high school. I had a really traumatic childhood. And so like, even to get into a college required me to like really go deep on that. Um, and so I just think it's really important to look back on your life and to look at the stages on when you've gone from level to level. And when you, and you could even think about, you know, and we invite you to do that in the book, what was the 20% you ultimately went all in on? And what was the 80% along the way that you let go of? at that chapter, you know, you could look at your life in various chapters and sequences and stages and say, you know, that was the 20% of that chapter that really helped me get to the next level. And that was and some of those things were the 80% that I had to let go of to get there. Um, you know, and me as an example, when I was that 18 year old kid, like, I really wanted to go on a and serve a church mission. And so obviously, some of my 80% to let go of was playing World of Warcraft all day. But some of the other 80%, which was more internal, was um, letting go of like the resentment and anger I had toward my father. My father was a, like a drug addict when I was growing up, meth addict and just gone through all that stuff. And I was very much like pushed him away. And like part of me getting to a place where I could go serve that mission was honestly like letting that go, like changing yeah. the narrative, right? Um, let, you know, forgiving him, forgiving, uh, his, you know, my past self and his past self and whatnot. And, and, um, so a lot of that, a lot of the stuff we let go of is just attachments, things we're holding on to, views. That's part of reframing your past. Um, it's just, you know, and even the story of you have of the story I had of my dad. He, he, he had to stop being a villain. He had to start being a hero, um, uh, uh, start being a friend. Um, and so a lot of the 80% you let go of along the way is internal. A lot of it is situational, video games, friends, um, could be a job, could for me in this case be that mastermind podcast, whatever it is. Um, you know, the things you let go of along the way um, you're letting go of for a bigger and a better future. And, um, you know, you, it's just a, an invitation to do that. Uh, there is one thing I feel like I have to say, and that's Please that, do. um, that one of the reasons, and there are many reasons why 10 X is easier than two X. Um, one being it's a mar far more powerful filter for just honestly, like choosing the few things with the matter versus, uh, the many things that we're holding on to. Like it, it's a better filter. It leads you to the better paths. It leads you to the better people. One, uh, one of, one of the better, one of the fundamental reasons why it's easier is, is that it, and it's why it's effective for entrepreneurs is, is over time, it does force you to be a leader. Um, it, if you're going for a really big futures, you really can't do it on your own. And, and so over time, it really does invite you to get other people involved. You know, we wrote a book called who not how, but it's just like, it really does invite you to get other people involved. And the higher up you go, the better who's you have to get. Um, 
Like it's true. Community you know, is so critical. Yeah, better who's in terms of people, friends, but like even like if you're an entrepreneur, the people on your team, like me yeah. as an editor, uh, as a book writer, to write the book that I wanted to write, this book, 10x is easier than 2x. I had to get a who, an editor that was better than the one for my last book, um, because you know I just needed that level of like back and forth. Um, and so as you have bigger and bigger visions or goals or whatnot, the the people along the way to help you are will get better with you because um, you, you know you just need that that level of quality and depth. It really is about depth and quality as you go up and up. And so it does invite you to be a leader that you can't do the 80%. Sometimes you have to pass that to someone else and let them do it or just get rid of it altogether. But you can't do it because you got to go deep in the few things that really matter. So it really forces you uh, into a, a really deep quality of not only what you do, but who you do it with. And when you're doing a few things really, really well and doing them with people with higher and higher capability and skill, um, it just gets a lot easier than if you're grinding away doing 100 things yourself or even um, you know, doing it with people who aren't that great at what they do. I can personally attest and vouch for that. The, the the best things that I have sort of accomplished, the 10x versions of myself looking backwards were largely around who I, you know, held as examples and who I surrounded myself with. And um, I think that's an that's an amazing attribute of uh, of you know being in community as well. Dr. Benjamin Hardy, thank you so much for being uh, a guest on the show again for a second time. Uh, welcome back again, and thank you for for being willing to show up here. 10X is the opposite of what you've been told, people. Uh, check out the book, 10X is Easier Than 2X. Um, any other place you'd steer us besides getting this book? I mean, we know that this is how world-class entrepreneurs achieve more by doing less, but you've probably got a few places you want to point us before we let you go. I honestly invite people to read the book or listen to it. There are uh, three hours of bonus interviews between me and Dan Sullivan. Um, in the audio? You actually, yeah, in the audio book, um, in all of our books, uh, I interview Dan. Um, I will say that I'm not writing any more books with Dan. That became part of the 80%, which is something that I, uh, you know, it 10x my life. Um, yep. But, you know, each stage takes you in different places. Um, but yeah, the audio book, if you want to hear some of the wisdom of Dan Sullivan, which is phenomenal and very interesting. Um, so yeah, I think we'll just leave it at that. Uh, check out the book. Awesome. Dr. Benjamin Hardy, thank you so much for being a guest on the show from he and me and our uh, lovely day that we find ourselves here in and fall of 2023. We both bid you adieu and I hope you have a great day, week and 10xing yourself. Until next time. All right. Hey, before you go, thanks so much for listening. And if you got value from this show, Chances are your community will too, right? In the particular lies the universal. Please share this link to the show with a friend or mention the show on social. That is a huge benefit for us in hopefully in exchange for providing value to you. I want you to know that I really appreciate your time, the attention, anything that you give to the show and the questions that you ask our guests either on social media or through my text community all of that is pure gold. This community, like any community, is a testament to that old phrase, a rising tide floats all boats. And by elevating one another, by sharing and resharing this show, the tidbits that you learn and the experiences you take away, all of that has a collective, massive positive impact on the world. So just a quick thank you. I appreciate all the effort you put into sharing for this show. All right, that's a wrap. Let's put today's episode into practice and get back to growing together.